Welcome to Four Quarter Lives, a podcast exploring the profound impact of longer, healthier, and more engaged lives, not only for ourselves and our couples, but also for companies and countries. I'm Aviva Wittenberg-Cox, and on this week's Four Quarter Lives, I'm rounding off season four with a summary of what we've covered in 10 fascinating episodes. As I look back over these conversations, it's like a deep dive course in longevity. So I thought I'd try and extract some of the juice and connect the dots across so much rich input and distill the learning. My focus for the season was how are companies and countries adapting to longevity, if at all, and to illustrate some of the early leaders and learn from their innovations. Countries first. To give some context to the size and scale of the global longevity shift, three podcasts looked at how longevity is playing out around the world. We started with Helen Nazeri and the World Economic Forum's recent report she directed called Living Longer Better, Understanding Longevity Literacy. It explored how literate or not people of different ages around the world are about this new longevity. She highlighted that while people under 40 may dream of retiring in their 60s, people over 40 usually don't. They expect both to keep working and caring for their elders. To better manage the third quarter of our lengthening lives, we'll need to become much more longevity literate, which means understanding, planning, and pacing lives, love, work, and money for the long haul. We then zoomed into one particularly fast aging part of the world, Asia, with Philip O'Keefe, who directs the Australian-based Aging Asia Research Hub, also known as SEPAR. Asia is on an accelerated journey of so many things. We've long watched its extraordinary economic growth. Now we're seeing it accelerating in other areas that have taken far longer in the West, namely demographics, aging populations, and plummeting fertility levels. The speed at which this region is shifting, shrinking, and reshaping is astonishing. The big three headlines? One, China started to demographically shrink in 2022. Two, India's overtaken China to become the world's most populous country. And three, South Korea is leading the world in tumbling fertility rates and no babies. They're down to 0.8 births per women, when the replacement ratio that keeps populations stable is 2.1. The consequences of these three trends will be felt for decades to come. Finally, we zoomed in a bit further to a country that is taking an extraordinarily proactive and strategic approach to longevity with Dr. Emi Kiyota from Singapore's National University. Singapore is taking a whole of government and whole of life approach to longevity, including rethinking the whole idea of what we call nursing homes. Dr. Kiyota is bringing in a concept she developed in Japan called Ibasho, which flips our usual scripts. Instead of caring for elders, it's the elders who care for us. She's created an Ibasho community center in Singapore that's opening right about now at the end of 2023. She shares how this enlivens and contributes to knitting together entire communities.
So, given this context of fast aging countries striving to get governments as longevity literate as the one in Singapore, we turned then to what the corporate sector is doing. We started with a global overview on the evolving workforce that was published by Bain and Company. And the challenge of attracting, retaining, and engaging the growing percentage of their talent pools over 50. Their report, Better with Age, the Rising Importance of Older Workers, asked a lot of people, some 40,000 across 19 countries, a simple but fundamental question. Why do you go to work? They helpfully came up with six archetypes and motivations, which could be applicable in any organization. The six were the operator, who looks for meaning outside work, the artisan, who seeks out work that fascinates them, the striver, who wants to make something of their life, the giver, who finds meaning in helping others, the explorer, who values freedom and experiences, and finally, the pioneer, who's on a mission to change the world. They also found that these archetypes evolved with age. Pioneers and strivers often became givers and artisans in Q3. This podcast is essential listening for anyone planning their future people strategies. These archetypes help remind us, too, that workforces and Q3ers aren't a homogenous group. They're as diverse as any other age segment. So companies will need to fine-tune their approach to managing across generations. Schneider Electric offered a really interesting model. This French multinational has introduced a global program called Future Ready, focused on its 50-plus employees and run by Michael Fawcett, who joined me. The company had found that employee engagement fell significantly in the 50s and wanted to address this, especially given the talent wars raging around the company. Integral to the program is to ensure that every employee at any age and stage is engaged in conversations about their career over the next decade. They found that there were four profiles to their Q3ers, those who wanted to continue, those who wanted to accelerate, that was a bit of a surprise, those who wanted to pivot, and those who planned to retire. That's a pretty good summary of the range of motivations and a helpful normalizing of the multiplicity of choices in Q3. Continue, accelerate, pivot, or retire. While a lot of conversation companies around longevity starts on the talent side, the flip side of the equation is the market side and how companies are integrating the reality of their aging customers, clients, and stakeholders of all kinds. Lisa Edgar joined us. She's chief customer officer of the Saga Group. She was the perfect expert to be explaining the subtleties and preferences of the Q3 consumer. Saga specialized in services to Q3 clients with both leisure and financial services as their twin pillars. Their ad campaigns center around the idea that experience is everything. While the business recognizes that Q3ers in their early 60s concentrate wealth and spending in many countries. The wealthiest segment of the UK's population, for example, are those aged 60 to 64. So she suggests it's time to let go of age and obligatory sequential stages as segmentation categories for brands and take a much more holistic intergenerational and inclusive approach 
when trying to understand emerging realities and preferences. Age just isn't what it used to be. Although she did admit that reality and physicality does start to hit eventually, and that Q3 and Q4 are pretty fair delimiters of a true tipping point in many lives. By 75 or 80, most of us will be slowing down and shifting our priorities. As companies start to wake up to this massive longevity shift, consulting firms are emerging to accompany them and also to measure their progress and to keep them accountable. We talked to two, one in the UK and one in France. In the UK, Lindsay Simpson is the CEO of 55 Redefined, puts it simply and powerfully. If you don't have a longevity strategy, she says, you don't have a growth strategy. Her company serves both the talent side of the challenge with a jobs and community platform for the 55 plus, as well as a consulting side, helping companies get longevity properly prioritized and addressed. She's even building a certification system for companies that will publicly recognize and award them longevity ready status. In France, Sibylle Le Maire founded the Club Landois, who's doing something similar but she's brought together 47 of the country's top CEOs to define and implement a 10-point longevity charter, with companies like L'Oreal and Insurer AXA leading the way. This sort of initiative really helps raise awareness in the private sector and build leadership skills around how to position and address the issue. It's likely to become the next sort of good place to work dimension like best places for the 50 plus. Just watch. Finally, we looked at what all this means for individuals and their careers and career prospects, because this is still a big challenge. Ageism and gendered ageism are the default norm that we need to update and uproot. It's both a somewhat dire picture, but one that some helpful research is emerging to address. Some of the clearest data on this comes from a recent OECD report called the Midlife Career Opportunity. It was co-authored by Generation, a nonprofit that helps both young and mid-career workers transition to new work. Mona Morshed, the CEO of Generation, explained the report's findings and what Q3ers might want to know when seeking to pivot. Namely, that there's a pretty deep misunderstanding and misalignment of what's valued by workers and employers at this age. The latter don't really care if you have five years experience or 25, while workers think that their experience is their most valuable asset. What employers care about is that you've updated your skills are open to learning and technology, and have proved it with recent certifications and upskilling. That's not hard to do, but it's better to know it before you start vaunting your decades of experience to a skeptical hiring manager who's rolling their eyes and concluding you're overqualified. Finally, I end with one of the biggest challenges on the ageism front. It's the gendered variety. Julie Miller is AARP's Director of Thought Leadership for Financial Resilience. And she's recently published two reports about Q3 women, unleashing the economic power of older women and how women 50 plus are driving the global economy. 
Much marketing and messaging has long ignored the older woman, despite the blue ocean of opportunities she represents for a vast range of companies. Women make up the majority of older adults, live longer than men, make most of the purchasing decisions, hold much of the assets, but are confronted with a series of challenges. From gender pay gaps, we graduate to gender pension gaps. From non-linear careers and more time in caring roles, whether it's for kids, parents, and then partners, we end up without enough financial resilience for our own later lives. While 80% of men die married, 80% of women die single. It's time to better understand and serve this vast community. We'll be focusing more on this in season five. For now, that's a wrap. This season's a pretty good example of what I've been aiming to do with Four Quarter Lives. Chart the impact of the new longevity on careers, companies, and countries, and the complexity and interrelationships between these areas and how generational balance is to the 21st century what gender balance was to the 20th. A massive economic, social, and political opportunity if we proactively prepare for the second billion by learning our lessons from the first. I hope you found it as fascinating as I have and that you'll join me for season five coming to your favorite podcast platform this January. Right now, let me sign off wishing you, wherever in the world you are, a serene, peaceful, and hopefully intergenerational holiday season. I'm Aviva Wittenberg-Cox, expert in gender and generational balance. See you next year on Four Quarter Lives. For more thinking about the impact of our Four Quarter Lives, you can read my column at Forbes and subscribe to my Elderberries newsletter on Substack. Let's design lives that aren't just longer, but better.